Welcome to Art Talks. I'm your host, Richard Codd, welcoming you here on KZMU for today's show. I hope it's not snowing yet. I'm looking out the window. I haven't seen any. But uh, anyway, I want to thank you for joining me. Uh, Today we have three guests. Uh, It's all been pre-recorded. It's just a lot easier with uh, COVID and trying to get people to feel as safe as possible. So I just pre-recorded them. But first off, um, I wanted to just thank everyone who came to the Science Fiction Film Festivals uh, that we had at, at the Mark. We did them over three Fridays, and they were quite successful. Everyone was uh, sold out. We had to limit it to uh, approximately 40 people because of COVID uh, regulations. But my wife and I, Nora Shepard, were thrilled that we have so many people here in Moab who are interested in science fiction. So thanks again, and we will be putting on another film series uh, next year. So keep on the lookout for more information on that. So on today's show, we have three guests, Karen Chatham, Larry Christensen, and Kelly McInerney. Karen Chatham is a local artist, and she works in all different media. She has worked with oils and watercolors, alcohol inks, and most recently, she's delved into ceramics. And she makes amazing pottery. Uh, Not the kind on a wheel, but she actually builds it. And it's so creative and so colorful. I I think you'll find her interview very very interesting. And then later after Karen, we'll hear from Larry Christensen. Um, His work can be seen at many galleries uh, right here in Moab, at the Gallery Moab, and also in several... uh, government buildings in some county buildings and even the state house and Larry primarily works in oils and watercolor but we'll hear him today talk about colors and how we see color and finally we'll talk with Kelly McInerney from the mark about some of their exciting winter programs so first up we have the interview with Karen Chatham so welcome, Karen. It's, Thank you. It's great to be with you today, and uh, I want to talk to you all about your art. Uh, <laughs> um, but first, how long have you lived in Moab? Um, I've lived here about 12 years in Moab. I moved from, uh, basically from Oklahoma, and I lived there for several years. And I love Moab. I was born and raised on the desert, so this is like home. Oh, okay. Where were you born? Uh, in Ridge, Ridgecrest, California. Oh, I don't know that. Where, yeah, where Mojave is that? Desert. Oh, mm-hmm. okay. Oh, wow. That is the desert. Yeah. So tell me about your career. How did you get started as an artist? Uh, well, like most people, I started out young, uh, always uh, just always doing art in school and different things like that and I was always encouraged um we'd have little art uh little competitions and I'd win Mm. a couple little ribbons Uh Uh uh-huh okay and when did you decide um to make it a a career 
Was, was there an active point in your life where you went, you know what, I'm doing pretty good at this. I could make a living. Uh, no, it is nice when you do have a, uh, an outlet for selling it, selling it mm-hmm. uh, which is uh, what happened to me when I moved to Moab. I mean, I've sold a few things before I moved here, but um, here, because of the tourists, um, mm-hmm. there's a constant, uh, you know, making and selling. Market. Yeah, the market. And so that keeps the things from piling up at home. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, let, let, let me ask you that. Um, who, who do you make the art for? Well, I mostly make it for myself. <laughs> you know, I just like to be able to do what I want to do. But um, here in Moab, most of the things that people buy are the tourists. Right. And so they're always looking for landscape, arches, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. So sometimes I do have to cater to that you know, for the sales. Right, right. Uh, but I sell other things, too, mm-hmm. you know, so that I'm happy about that. Let, let, let me step back. The artworks that you were showing me, I mean, you do so many different kinds of art. Um, t- tell our listeners about the, the different um, media that, that you work in. Well, I, uh, I try everything. Yeah. <laughs> uh, sometimes I just, when I get an idea for something, um, I picture it as it would be good in oil, or how about pastel? Or I don't do too much pastel, but you know, that's a lot of it is just uh, thinking about what it would look best in, what what medium. Hmm. Uh, just for our listeners, in case you hear any background noise, we're sitting in the gallery Moab that is right on Main Street, and sometimes it can be a little noisy with the truck, so, so you have to bear with us, but, uh, but that's where we're sitting this morning. So what, what is the most challenging uh, medium that you've worked with? One thing about watercolor, which I, I like real well, but watercolor is what they sometimes call the unforgiving medium because you can lose your white. Mm-hmm. And if you lose white, you can't get it back. Um, but pottery has been very challenging to me. When I started uh, going and playing around with clay, I soon discovered it was very complicated if you get down to learning all about the different uh, kinds of clay, how they, how they get fired. There's a, just mm. a lot of, uh, to learn, way more than I ever expected. Is, is that what you've worked with the most? Well, lately, recently? yes. Uh-huh. The last couple of years, um, I've almost stopped painting because I've been uh, just uh, engrossed in uh, clay and uh, I do all hand building, and there's not very many people that do hand building. And hand building is exactly what? Um, 
Well, for one thing, it's not using the wheel. Right, which, know, putting, which most many people may be familiar with that. Thing. Yes, uh-huh. And when you use the wheel, a lot of what you do is function, what they call functional pottery, where I do more uh, hand-building, which is one-of-a-kind usually, and more uh, creative t- in some ways because... Uh, I can make a lot of things that you couldn't make on the wheel, sculptures and, you know, things like that. Okay. So the wheel, um, I'll I'll, I'll have a picture in my mind, is the Demi Moore, was that her name? Sitting at the wheel, and and who was it hanging over her shoulder? (laughs) And they're singing, you know. Oh, yeah. my love. Yeah. That's, I think, what people think about. But yeah. yours is uh-huh. all constructed by hand. You have some amazing shapes and faces and characters yeah. on, on, your, on your ceramics. And that, see, and that's what I like is mm-hmm. uh, uh, I, I, made, I made the uh, comment to one of my students, uh, if you can imagine it, you can make it. Well, actually, I should say, if I can imagine it, I can make it, because now she'll say that to me, and I'll say, well, I didn't really mean that, because, you know, just because you can imagine it, you imagine it, because you think I can make it, you know? (laughs) (laughs) So, tell me, you're at uh, Desert Sun Ceramics, that's down on the highway. Right. You you do a lot of work there. Uh, I do. I teach uh, classes. I teach an adult class on... Monday nights of hand building, and then I teach a children's class on Fridays. And uh, Liz and Joanne, uh, Liz Ford, who owns it, and Joanne Savoir. Savoir, okay. I always sing her last name. Uh-huh. Um, they uh, teach the wheel classes. Oh, okay. And, and uh, we stay really busy with students oh. down there, and it's a really a fun place to go because there's always people in there working on different projects and things like that yeah i told you i'll have to stop in uh because i want to see the the work in process yeah so i had asked you before about who you make the art for Mm -hmm. and you and you had said you made uh, many much of it is is made for the for the tourist industry or the, the tourists who come by do you make art for yourself that is purely you're making it and you know you're going to keep it and it it may be something different but no do, do you not, make no no not really um, I make things for other people right. uh, like my sister and things like that but um, I when I say I make it for myself I make it because it's something that has popped into my mind, and um, I, I just want to make it. Uh-huh. Uh, so what I keep is a lot of times the things I break. I put <laughs> oh, oh. Because <laughs> you know that you can't sell them. <laughs> you can't. Can you can you melt them down and reuse no. them? No, not you really. You can glue them back together. That's true. When when you work on a piece, how do you price it? Oh, that's, um, a lot of times you have to price things according to what everybody else prices at. Uh, um, and we're talking about, say, for example, some of the, the, the mugs and, mm-hmm. and other um, 
ceramics that you make, some of the, the fascinating vases and the pots mm-hmm. with the faces on them. Um, when I see that, and, and if I see a price on it, it's like, geez, how do you determine that? Um, you could go by how long it takes uh, and on, and things like that, but generally artists don't make much money because um, there's, uh, there's so much time involved, right. and you just... Don't get paid what you're worth right. most of the time. And then when you do put it out for sale somewhere, uh, they're going to take 40% of what you... And so it's very hard, you know, to come up... I think we did some figuring one time yeah. when I was talking about yeah. uh, how long it takes, like if I make a pot, um, and with all the glazing and uh, and everything that's involved in it, um, it, it comes down to less than ten dollars an hour. <laughs> well, yeah, so, <laughs> I'm going to go work at that, McDonald's. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, there you can get eighteen dollars an hour now, right? I know. <laughs> but you're not having as much fun. No, no, I'm not. <laughs> you know, I don't think there's so much fun in slapping another uh, no. Big Mac on that bun. <laughs> No, not really. Where where can people uh, see your work? Uh, I have it. Uh, I have here in Gallery Moab and at Moab Made, and uh, I have a few pieces at uh, Desert Sun Ceramics. And we do have oh a couple of times a year we have a sale down there at Desert Sun. So and I go to festivals. Oh, okay. Um, are there some festivals that are going to be around here that mm-hmm. you might be at? Uh, if they have the arts festival this year in, in May, which, I which will probably, Teresa King yeah, is working on, and yeah. I, I believe that's going to uh-huh. happen. I'll probably do that this year. Oh, good. Okay. And last year I was at the Red Rock Festival, which uh, was really good, and I am planning to go back to that again. Oh, good. Yeah, and I know the Red Rock Festival. I know they were trying uh-huh. some new things last year. I, I have been doing the mark at Christmas, but um, it's hard for me to carry things up and down the stairs now, and so I didn't go last year because of that. I was wondering, I didn't see you there. To get in touch with you, if they're listening today here on KZMU, and they say, oh, Boy, that sounds interesting. I wonder what they can see them at Desert Sun. Yes, um, Desert Sun Gallery Moab, right. Moab Made, uh, and I I post a lot of my things on Facebook, so you can look if you go on my site. And, and do you, do you have a website? Uh, yeah, actually, I have a couple. I, I'm on a website here with the gallery, okay, which is Gallery Moab. Moab.com. Uh, GalleryMoab.com. And uh, and then I have my own website, which is Studio K Moab. Studio K Moab. Dot com. Dot com. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> I want to thank you so much for taking the time oh, thank you. today. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really appreciate it. And again, we're talking with Karen Chatham, whose work you can see down at Gallery Moab, Moab Made. And if you're driving on 191, you can always stop by the Desert Sun Ceramics. That's right. Well, thank you, Karen. Thanks so much Uh for being with us here today. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview with with Karen. 
Um, She was also very nice enough to uh, provide us with a wonderful ceramic piece for our uh, sci-fi festival. Next up is my interview with Larry Christensen. And I wanted to talk with Larry specifically about color and how we see and perceive color. And I know all all about the, uh, well, not all about, but I know the rods and the cones that are in our eyes that help us see the light, um, um, in particular the various colors. But I I was really curious about what's going on in our brains that help us distinguish something that's red versus something that's green. So I asked Larry to to talk with us here on KZMU about this subject of colors. Well, my next guest is Larry Christensen. Uh, Larry's an artist here in town. Um, many of his works are on display at the Gallery Moab uh, and other venues. So let's have a nice welcome for Larry Christensen. Thank you. We're here today to talk about color um, in, in art. Um, but first, let, let, let me just ask you a little bit about your career. How long have you been uh, painting? Believably since 1950s, and so I'm kind of old. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, well, you're as old as me, so you know, it's all relative, right? <laughs> yes. Um, okay, um, and tell me about your training as an artist. I uh, took art a little bit in high school, and then got a Bachelor of Fine Arts, and then I got a Master of Fine Arts, and uh, several years later. So uh-huh. I thought I was going to be a, an art teacher, and I did teach for about 10 years right. at BYU and at U, uh, Utah Valley. Uh-huh. Um, and I have several works in the museum, the Springville Museum, and some in the state capitol and some in the uh, state Offices in Provo. Oh, okay. Along with the county buildings and stuff there. Okay. Where I was working for a long time. Let's dive into color. All right. Um, When I see a painting and it has all these reds and greens and yellows, how does the eye see those colors? Well, as you mentioned earlier, you know all about rods and cones, and most people do. Mm-hmm. We've got about a million rods and 300,000 cones in each eye. Mm-hmm. And uh, the rods are for black and white, low-level uh, lighting, etc. Mm-hmm. And then we have three different kinds of rods, the red, the green, and the blue. And I'm going down the hill there. Right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and so, in the wavelengths that are emitted all around us, radio lengths, our radio waves, and light waves, etc., we see a very, very narrow bandwidth. Mm-hmm. Um, there are animals. There's, a, for instance, a kind of shrimp that has 12 different types of cones. So it can distinguish infrared, ultraviolet, 
who knows what else. But it, and the, I guess the benefit to the shrimp would be survival, picking out um, food sources, etc. And, and being able to identify that which is going to eat it. Or eat it, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like me, a prawn. Hey, hey, how about another piece of shrimp over there? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, bees and uh, a lot of insects that deal with flowers see ultraviolet. So they have an ultraviolet cone that picks up that series of wavelengths. Okay. So that's all... Um, Different, different animals, different insects. We all have different right. Uh, abilities. Right. Like dogs have blue and yellow cones. They don't have red cones. So they only see blue and yellow and greens. How does somebody like me, um, I'm colorblind, and I know there are degrees of colorblindness, but like when I joined the Navy, they give you those Books with, squares with, with the dots with all the dots in them and and if I tell you that I think I got only two out of 20 correct I mean I just could not see any of those numbers or figures you were supposed to see what's happening in my eyes that I can't see those colors um, or shades I, I, a lot of times the cones you have or you may not have as many cones in the in one a lot of people have difficulty between red and green. That's what I'm, my color uh, blindness is, reds and greens. So you're not receiving... We go from 390 nanometers to 760 nanometers if you're really stretching it. That's the measurement of that light. Yeah, the wavelength. Right, right. so 720. Okay. Yeah, and uh, you're really stretching it at 760 now, some people have surgery, and they find that they can see some ultraviolet light. Oh, really? And it becomes, because uh, they've done something right. to the blue receptors, and so... Uh, Interesting. So, it, what they think is happening with colorblindness is that you have fewer of the reds, and so... You're not seeing the red spectrum as much. And uh, I personally feel that uh, it may be due to synaptic processes mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. When we get down to the synapse, mm -hmm. every, every receptor from everything that we feel or see or think, there's a little link there that jumps. Mm. And um, as a matter of fact, there are two, two uh, theories about the trichromatic theory that we've been talking about. Mm -hmm. And then they talk about the opponent process where you see two different colors, mm -hmm. one across the other. And I'm convinced that the opponent process is just synaptic delay because it takes a while for the chemical mm -hmm. that jumps across the synapse to shoot the electron down the the nerve fiber is takes a moment to rebuild so you can walk out of a brightly lit room into a dark hallway and you can't see you can't see for about 30 seconds it takes right. that long to rebuild those uh, huh. so so for me 
I think it's mostly shades of those reds and greens that blend together. Uh-huh. You know, that's how I see them. So and I, I feel like that's a synaptic problem rather than a deficiency in the cones. Yeah. So if, if, I, if I or somebody has a deficiency, you just touched on it. Can somebody see yellow or red in a much more intensive vibrancy than I do? Like if they have more of those rods or cones. More of the cones, yeah. Or, uh, and perhaps uh, they're better shaped. Maybe they're just not yeah. shaped right, quite right to receive the, receive the color. But You know, it's interesting. So, so some painters who we look and say, I love that. They, they, may, they may be seeing those colors in a different way and they may look much brighter to them and they may apply a paint and say, oh, geez, we wouldn't think of it, but when we see it, all of us, we can appreciate it. I don't know. I'm, I'm just wondering if some painters, um, artists, see colors a little differently. Yes, but also there are ways to enhance. For instance, almost every artist knows that if you close or, or if you stare at a color for about 30 seconds right and then close your eyes you'll see the complement the precise complement of that color mm. in your mind or against a white background really well let's let's touch on that what well, I know the phrase complementary colors and I know on a color wheel that you you'll see what are complementary colors, and, and wh- why are they complementary? Do, do you know that? Well, complementary colors, red and green, blue and yellow, uh, orange and uh, or per- yellow and purple, actually, and orange. But blue. they're all prime colors. The, like all the prime colors No, it's are a prime color with a secondary color. With a secondary, right. Because green is a secondary color as far as as the subtractive process of pigments. So when you use pigments, it's a subtractive process. If you're using lights, then it's an additive process, and then green would be your primary. But yellow is the primary in a subtractive process, mixing paints. So, so what are the primary colors? <laughs> okay, red, red, yellow, and blue. Red, yellow, and blue. And pigments. from those three pigments, we get all our other Right colors, but if you mix all the pigments together, you get right. black. You get black. But if you mix all the lights together, red, green, and blue, you get white. Okay. So a white light is just a composite of all those things, and the retina, the mind, picks up the signals from the retina and determines the other colors. So. The wavelength that comes off of a red mm-hmm. plastic beast right. is uh, it's just a wavelength. Our cone picks that up and in, sends the signal to the right. brain, and the brain interprets it in the frontal cortex. So uh, the, the colors we see are reflections from... Uh, like you were saying, uh, a red plastic gizmo absorbs all the colors, but red. And so right. On. 
so we get the reflection from the red and that's what we see. When we're mixing colors, for instance, um, cadmium colors, cadmium is a metal and it's um, kind of cubic on the micro microscopic level. There's little cubes of it like sugar. Oh, okay. And so if you grind those cubes finer and finer, you go from red down to yellow and you get a shorter wavelength being reflected off of that. Mm. But if we mix a red and a yellow to get orange, then you've got two different wavelengths there and it's gray. It's a gray to orange. You never can get a pure orange by mixing two cadmium colors because you're getting those two wavelengths that are competing and bumping and knocking each other out. So so I guess it's almost in mixing the, the paint... It's an endless array of colors that you can achieve. Yeah, they, they figure that we can see somewhere in the neighborhood of 10 to the 33 zeros of colors, different colors that we can pick up because the eye or the mind can determine that those combinations. I, I've seen some numbers like that, and it's just absolutely incredible yeah, that, that just, the eye can pick up those minute differences. Yeah, it's, uh, and they're making combinations. So on each nerve mm-hmm. cell, you have the den- dendrites. Dendrites. That are picking up the, like it's the root of a tree. Mm-hmm. The dendrites are out of the roots, and they're picking up the nutrients or the wavelengths. And then it passes through the nucleus and down the trunk and gets out to the axons. And the axons have connections. And what are they? What are the axons? They're little fingers that right. that grow out on the other end of the nerve cell. Oh, okay. And so you have a nerve in your big toe, picks up a, a thing or a, in a stimulus, mm-hmm. sends it. That that nerve trunk is as long as your body, <laughs> and it goes all the way to the. Mm-hmm. To their brain, and then it spills out. They figure that um, we have a trillion nerve cells or neurons right. in the body, and those trillion neurons can each make up to sixty thousand connections. So you can make more connections than there are atoms in the universe. Oh. So. Uh, it, I'm getting lost in the details here. So it's. So our eyes are pretty amazing. Yeah, and so when it, when you get a, a red and a green signal coming from the eye, those nerves send it out and make the connections to up to 60,000 each. So you've got 120,000 possibilities of color there. Right, right. Just from those two uh, stimuli. So the red that you're seeing and the red that I'm seeing at that exact moment may be very different per- perception wise I may perceive them differently than you yes uh, and that might be because of my cones might be right. less efficient than your cones right. or the light might be striking the color at a different right. angle that I'm getting They've done some studies where 
a school bus going around a corner reflecting the light changes the actual wavelength of the light because it's going around the corner and you're getting the different. But the mind mm-hmm. interprets that that's a yellow school bus, so it sees yellow all the way through all the changes. So, huh? We're we're yeah. It's perception, it's location, it's refraction. All of those things have a play a major role in how we see color. Yeah. Huh. So. So when when you buy paints, um, what do different manufacturers like? Is the alizarin red from pick a big company, Linter? Windsor Windsor Newton. Newton, Is theirs the exact same as the Da Vinci line of alizarin red? Normally, no, but lately they've put in some standards, and on each tube there's a number that corresponds to the wavelength. And so uh, you can find out how close you are. <laughs> do, do you mix colors? Like, do, do you do you sometimes do you use all different uh, manufacturers in in your painting? Or you if I want a really brilliant red, I'll use reds from Grumbacher, Windsor Newton, Utrecht, because each one is just slightly different, right? And so it makes it more vibrant, okay, and causes a, a brighter color. Yeah, interesting. Um, and, and how does it, a student paint? differ from, say, because, you know, if you go into Blix or, or Cheap Joe's, you know, any of those big art supply stores, you'll see student paints, and then you see, you know, professional paints or whatever. The best thing I can tell you is that they use calcium carbonate as a filler, and uh, student paints may be 75% filler, and professional paint has more pigment, much more expensive, but it may only have 15% filler. Oh, okay. So um, you have the same color, but it don't... I could take a tube of professional paints and mix (laughs) yards of color with it, whereas a student grade may only go 10 inches (laughs) if I'm mixing down a... Oh, oh, okay. Well, it it's just it, it fascinates me what we see every day, different colors, and how does our minds shape I've, that? It's, I used to wonder if what I'm seeing is red, someone else would see as green. Yeah, yeah. And uh, who would who would walk around with red lawns and say, "Oh, yeah, that's uh, that's a beautiful green lawn," but because it's it's the wavelength. That determines what we see, and our eyes are genetically connected. We all came from Noah, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> then we're we're seeing in in that same ballpark. What I see as green is green to you as well, but it might be a different green, a different shade, a little bit different. Yeah. And and that's you know. So the Mona Lisa that we see today is probably different than when it was painted. Probably, because pigments have a tendency to fade Mm -hmm. over time. Like like me, you know, I fade over time. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, but uh, also when they cleaned up the uh, Last Supper, 
mm-hmm. and the uh, scenes that Michelangelo painted in the uh, chapel there. They had oil and grease and smoke and all kinds of grunt on them. And to clean that off, they had to be very careful. When they thought, before they cleaned the Sistine Chapel, when they cleaned that ceiling, they thought they had a beautiful, sedate bunch of paintings. When they got it cleaned off, I mean, those colors were vibrant and phthalo greens and well, not thalo because that's a more modern yeah, color. Yeah. But, but but the the greens were vibrant, the reds were vibrant. Uh, Michelangelo was putting color on that thing. Uh, wow. And uh, it was just the accumulation of dirt over time that made it look so quiet and sedate and browns and lights. Which was originally full of vibrant colors. Yes. And See? so they they found the same thing with, with Da Vinci's Last Supper that when they cleaned that off, it was yeah. brilliant. Huh. Well, Larry, I want to thank you so much for being our guest here today on KZMU. Um, and if people want to see how you've applied colors in your paintings, you can go to Gallery Moab here in town on Main Street. Absolutely. Um, and you have a lot online. You could see how you've experimented with colors. What right. what, what is your email address for or website? It's... Um, U-E-N-I dot com. And it's Larry Christensen at U-E-N-I dot com. Okay. Well, I really appreciate you coming, and we'll talk to you again soon. Okay. Thank you. Well, I hope you enjoyed my interview with Larry. As I hope you heard, the whole concept of color, to me, is just incredible. And as a partially colorblind person, I always wonder, what what do you see when you see red compared to me and you know what I'll probably never know but that's okay because whatever I see that's that's what's real to me so in case you just joined us you're listening to KZMU 90.1 106.7 on your FM dial and you can also listen to us stream us on that web thing at www.kzmu.org. And next up, we have um, an interview with Kelly McInerney. Kelly is going to be talking about some of the winter programs at the Mark and her new role as the director. Um, So hopefully you'll hear some class that they're offering that you may say, hey, I think I'm going to try that. So next up is Kelly, and we will hear from her. So hold on. Well, my next guest is Kelly McInerney, who is the new director of The Mark. Congratulations and welcome to Art Talks. Hi, thank you, Richard. So Kelly, tell me about yourself. Where where did you come from before? So um, I was working over at the city building in the building in the administration department, and during that time, I got to help out with a lot of the events that happened through the mark, and kind of fell in love with that department. And when the position opened up, decided to to apply for it and take that leap. Oh, good for you! Well, and and not only are you new, but it, almost everybody in that office is fairly new, aren't they? That's who, correct. Who, who else is there? 
So I have Melissa Morgan. She's our Associate Arts Director, and she is great. If you have worked with you around town, um, you'll know. Um, she's a great one. And then we also have Emily Sudeth, and she's our Part-Time Arts Assistant. Okay. And, and there's also a new overall director for your department. It, um, right. Annie McVeigh is our McVeigh. Uh, Parks, Recs, and Trails director, so we work closely with her as well. Okay, so there's really been a whole big turnover at the mark. Yes. So, okay. Well, um, this is a good opportunity then to, to talk with you and hear what's going on at, at the mark. So, um, what do you got on tap for the winter? So currently we're running our winter programming, and it's a wide range of classes. They started in late January, and they will run through the end of March. Okay. Give me an example of the kinds of classes that you're offering. Yeah, so we are currently in the midst of a four-week landscape painting class. We've already run an indigo dyeing paper-making class as well. And um, on deck this weekend, we have book binding, we have an oil painting class coming up, we have an intro to tea blending class that we're really excited about. What, tea blending? Tea blending. Tea blending. So what, what do you do? Just make your own morning tea or evening tea? So what we're going to do in that class is have different herbs, different teas, and be able to try the elements on their own and then kind of mix together what you think will work for you. And some of that will be based on what the outcome you're looking for is and others is just huh. what kind who's, of flavors And who's like. teaching that? Do you have somebody? Desiree Miller is teaching that. She's the owner of Adobe Garden oh. in town. So this is a class that's it's new for us and that's something we've been trying to do this year is have offerings that are a little bit different. Oh, good. What are what what are some of the others um, that you might have, and and what kind of skill levels? If if I wanted to take something like that, like the um, tea making or tea blending, I know I know nothing about teas, it's but I like for them. You then. Yeah, yeah, this is a this is a beginner class. A lot of our classes are. Um, aim towards beginners so that we can get some people in that haven't experienced things before. You don't have to be a professional painter to come take these classes. Oh, that's good. And and what about supplies? The the mark provides all of the supplies for the classes. The instructors are local artists around town, and they come to us with ideas. But we provide the supplies, and then. Each class, there's something that you will be able to walk away from the class with that you've made. Okay, and I was going to ask you that. How do you, how do you decide what kinds of classes to offer each yeah. year? In late fall, we sent out a call for instructors. Mm -hmm. So we put that out, flyers around town, posts on our social media, and um, people have come to us with, hey, I'm, I'm a local landscape painter, and I'd love to teach a class. Oh. Okay. So if, if there are artists listening out there, if there's something you've often thought about you'd like to share um, or teach a class, you can yeah, reach, out, reach to out to the mark and see what they say. And, and how much do they cost for classes? The classes vary depending on, so we have some that are one-day sessions and others that are a couple weeks long. So the price depends on 
the length of the class as well as the materials involved. Mm -hmm. So we have some classes are $20 and others are up to 150 but we do have scholarships available. So if you're interested in taking a class and you're not quite able to fit that into your budget, just reach out to us and we do have a scholarship application. Oh, that's good. I was going to ask you because that that price threshold, it may discourage some people from taking a class. Right, and we want these classes to be accessible. We want to involve the community, so that's a big reason for having those scholarships. Oh, that's great. Um, what... What are the takeaways? Like, say, if, if I take, what were some of the others? Did we cover them all? Uh, we didn't cover them all. We have a basket weaving class coming up, painting with alcohol ink, cyanotypes, uh, and, and an oil painting class. There's a two-week and a five-week oil painting class. What is it, cyanotypes? What, and what is that? So that's going to be prints. Okay. And so if I sign up for the... Uh, um, alcohol ink painting. Who's who's teaching that? Uh, Bitsy Tatera is teaching that. Okay, and if I again, I know nothing about alcohol paint ink. If if I sign up for that, will do I get to take something home or? Oh, so whatever you make, you'll be able to take home. Okay, and then. Um, the take-homes, they do depend on the class because some of the supplies are here that we use um, regularly, but. For example, like if you take the tea blending class, you'll go home with a, the jar of tea that you've uh, blended. And then for we had an embroidery class, uh -huh. we were able to send everyone home with a needle and an embroidery hoop, as well as whatever they stitched. In oh, class. okay. So so just kind of it does depend on the class. And the class and and um, the person's interest that they bring to right. it. Are they are they just trying to find out about it mm -hmm. or is it? something that maybe they've been exposed to before and are just trying to get better. Right. So, okay. Um, and tell me about some of the other programs that you might have coming up. The winter classes generally run till around when? They will go through the end of March. Okay. And so these classes are something we do have interest in in doing classes other times of year mm -hmm. and that's something we'll explore next year not this year but having oh. summer classes maybe fall classes we really love educating the community on these yeah because I think now most of the programs have traditionally happened in the winter mm -hmm. months right okay so maybe now we might see some more in the summer when for example it could be a great time to have a a class on plein air painting, getting people outside, yeah. which it, it seems to be a very popular um, um, medium here in in Moab. So, right, so right. maybe that's something that you look into. There's a lot of potential for it, so yeah. we are looking into it. Okay. What else do you have going that you could share with our listeners? Yeah, so some of the events you've seen in past years we will be bringing back again this year. Things like art walks and okay. starting in April we're partnering with our sustainability department and we're going to be doing a dark skies theme show oh oh so that will be one of our first art walks and then we'll continue those throughout the summer and fall okay that's interesting art walks will be coming back right the museum is usually involved in that and right. a couple galleries around town okay. as well as the mark oh that'll be good to see i know it seems every person i, I talk to on the show now 
we, we end up talking about COVID as well, because I mean, we're still um, in, in the pandemic. I think I saw today that Utah is fourth in, in the COVID rate. So we still haven't been able to, to get this that far behind us, but I'm hope, uh, where do you see uh, COVID affecting events? I guess you're taking all kinds of necessary precautions. It's been on our mind for sure. We are very aware of it. And for example, with our winter classes, we have been limiting class sizes, making sure to check in with everyone. Masks are required at city facilities, so they are required at the mark. Um, but we've been thinking about this in all seasons and all events that we do and how we can still offer things but protect everyone's health. Um, the, the benefit of living in a beautiful place like Moab is we once the weather warms up, which it already has started to, we'll be able to do a lot more outside yeah. events. Yeah. And that's great. Great. It's nice to see the new energy and excitement at the mark. Um, the staff seems really gung-ho on all these new programs, and I, I wish you all the best. Well, thank you, Richard. And before we go, uh, how does somebody find out, how do they get more information on your classes? Yeah, so you can always give us a call. We are at 435-259-6272, or we have a lot of our information on our website, and that's moabarts.org. All right, well, thank you, and we'll see you around town. Thanks, Richard. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Kelly McInerney. And now what I'd like to do is thank Molly Marcello for helping produce today's show. Uh, without her, I would have been completely lost here today. So thank you, Molly. And I also want to thank Karen Chatham, uh, Larry Christensen, for also helping to make today's show so much uh, fun. Uh, and as a reminder... Join us next month for the next Art Talks on Monday, March 21st at 4 p.m. And remember, support your local artists. This is Richard Codd signing off for Art Talks.